Welcome to Open Plaza, a podcast created by the Hispanic Theological Initiative. Each episode, we focus on a topic that matters to you, whether you're in the field, the academy, or the clergy. My name is Stephen Dutrolio Coakley. Today's episode, we bring you a conversation between Loida Martel and myself on the topic of Try Jesus. For more information about today's talk, go to htiopenplaza.org. Welcome to the HTI Open Plaza. My name is Stephen Detrolio Coakley, and I have the pleasure of sitting today and having a conversation with the Reverend Dr. Loida Martel, who is the Vice President for Academic Affairs and the Dean at the Lexington Theological Seminary. Welcome. Thank you. Good so to be here. So happy to hear you. Thank you. And be with you. Thank you so much. This is a this is a privilege and an honor to be part of this. Well, we were talking before the conversation, and you said actually you're doctor, doctor, <laughs> Reverend, doctor, doctor. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. My parishioners used to call me Doctor Squared. Doctor Squared. <laughs> I don't know if they meant the mathematical formula or something about my personality. <laughs> uh, before I went into ministry, um, my my earliest dream was to be a veterinarian. And uh, there were no models for veterinarians in Puerto Rico. Um, so I had a little bit of a struggle, but I eventually uh, got admitted to Tuskegee University's uh, School of Veterinary Medicine. In fact, I was for a time the only Puerto Rican woman wow. in the whole town of Tuskegee. Uh, there were some Puerto Rican men, and, and it had been a school that had been accepting Puerto Ricans since uh, 1948 but uh, never had accepted a woman until I entered the school. Um, And so I graduated from Tuskegee and went to Puerto Rico and got my license um, and did two things. Um, I was invited by the University of Puerto Rico uh, to start a vet tech program. So um, I was the person who took their proposal and made it alive. And we started a vet tech program and I designed the classrooms and that program today is the only four-year vet tech program that I know of that's accredited. And the classrooms that I designed uh, back in, and I'm not going to tell you the year, uh, still, stand. <laughs> still stand. Still stand. And the people who were my students now run that program. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, I started a practice um, and uh, eventually went into uh, uh, an affiliation with another veterinarian. Um, he had a, uh, an evening practice. I had a morning yeah. practice. He would take my emergencies at night. I would take his emergencies during the day. Every animal? Every different type of animal? Uh, primarily small animal. Okay. Uh, for you to do large animal, you would have to get up at 2 in the morning and be out there before the first milking uh, of the cows, so not to interrupt. Um, and I did do some regulatory work so for as an intern. So I did some uh, brucellosis testing and tuberculosis mm-hmm. testing of cattle and got to know some of the dairy farmers and share with them. But, um, but once I graduated, um, I was called, as I said, by the University of Puerto Rico to start this program. So it wasn't compatible with large animal. Yeah. My actual dream was to be a clinical pathologist uh, but that didn't that didn't happen for a number of reasons. So um, I I went into this program. I started this program, and on the side did did small animal. Um, but after uh, some years, I would say about uh, six to 
about six or seven years of practice. I started having a tug, uh, yeah. a sense of call that really had been with me since childhood, but I, I didn't identify it yeah. when I was a child and now as an adult. And so I was very active in the church. Mm -hmm. I, was, I started the, the first um, young adult ministry in, in the island of Puerto Rico. Uh, I didn't know that it was the first one until people started consulting me from other denominations. Because yeah. um, I was going to ask you, how do you get from being a veterinarian in Puerto Rico to being right. the dean of, <laughs> uh, uh, in, it, in it Kentucky? It was a journey. And so, um, and as, I, as that call became more and more acute and more and more crystallized, I realized that two things were going to happen if I said yes to this call that I was gonna have to leave Puerto Rico mm. and that I was gonna have to leave uh, uh, the practice of veterinary medicine. Um, and I accepted those consequences. And it's, a, it's gonna be for another podcast, yeah, sure. the story. But I ended up sure eventually- it's a great story. At, 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 it's a wonderful story. It's an, it's an incredible story how I ended up at Andover Newton. Okay. Um, under the tutelage of, uh, Orla of the late Orlando Costas. Um, and while at Andover Newton, uh, came to realize that my calling was in theological education and got involved with the Center for Urban Ministerial Education. So I got to know Elin Diafane, Efrain Agosto, mm -hmm. a lot of these pioneers. Mm -hmm. I was introduced to Justo Gonzalez. Um, and they started encouraging me to, to move on. And I said no, that I had enough degrees to play a deck of cards with. Yeah. Um, and, um, and, and I started teaching. So while I was doing my undiv, I was also teaching at CUNE. So I was mm. teaching in a theological program while I was finishing my undiv and became a, an academic counselor. So I knew that my calling was going to take me there. And then suddenly got called to, to, to an associate pastorate in New York. And I thought, no, my calling is not pastorate. My calling is theological education. Where in New York? But I was called, and, and so I went to the Bronx, the Bronx. And, uh, and I was an associate pastor with my father. They tell me that uh, for a time, we were probably the only father-daughter pastorate in American Baptist Churches USA in all of the United States wow. and Puerto Rico. That's amazing. Um, <clears throat> we, didn't, we didn't know when we started this. So I ended up, I thought I was going to be there for a year. I ended up there for 15 years, uh, including an interim pastorate in Queens, New York. Um, by then, I had finished my PhD at Fordham, and I was called by uh, Palmer Theological Seminary. Uh, I became... St. David's, Pennsylvania. Um, that's it, yep. Yeah. Um, and I became the first Latina to be fully tenured, at uh, a fully tenured professor at Palmer. And... Um, and as Palmer was going through some transitions, I began to see the signs that my, my, my tenure at Palmer was coming to an end. And I did not want to accept that because I was so dedicated to Palmer. And I, I consider Palmer my family and the students. I, I was so, so, I love my students at Palmer so much. Um, but the, the Lord was very clear in those signs. And then suddenly out of the clear blue, about six months after my father died, um, I was a caretaker for my father. Mm. Um, I got uh, an email that was inviting me to apply for this position of vice president and dean at, at, at Lexington Theological Seminary. I didn't think it was going to happen, um, but everybody encouraged me to move forward, and in prayer I felt to move forward. 
And so I applied thinking it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. You know, so I'm, I'm it's not going to happen for me. Happen. Yeah, it's sure. Just, it's, it's, you know, I'm, that, that's, that's, not, that's not me. Not, not yeah. Kentucky. Yeah. I'm from New York. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And, and I kept moving forward in the process. And the next thing I knew, I got a call that said, congratulations, wow. you, you are a dean. Um, this process started in March, and in May the decision was made, and in August I started. I mean, it was that quick. But it's been a blessing to be there for two years. It's wow. been a good fit, and uh, and there are good things. Good things are happening. So, so from veterinary doctor <laughs> to dean, from veterinary doctor <laughs> to pastor to all to professor to dean. Yeah. Wow. So I, I've had about three lifetimes in That's in exciting. one. And I tell people kidding around, I'm 120. I just look young for my yeah, age. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I love it. Uh, recently, you gave a talk in Kentucky called Try Jesus. How yes. did that idea come about? You know, it, it came about, believe it or not, um, when I was, was still living in New Jersey. And I was coming out of the... You lived in New Jersey, too. I lived in New Jersey. What state have you not lived in? <laughs> Because you're naming all these places, and I'm making a list in my mind. Massachusetts, New York, Kentucky, Pennsylvania. Uh, New Jersey. New Jersey. Um, Alabama. Oh, my goodness. Uh, for Tuskegee. And yeah. for a time, I lived in London, Ontario, oh in Canada, goodness. where my family resides. That's so fun. So, and, of course, Puerto Rico. Of course. Um, but uh, I, I was coming out of a mall in New Jersey. I was at the Apple store having something repaired and mm -hmm. came out. And there was a sign on the store that said, Try Jesus. Wow. And, um, and that got me to thinking. And so when I was called to do this speech, I remembered that sign. I had already done a little blog on the Try Jesus thing because it tickled me pink. Yeah. I mean, the first thing that came to my mind was, Oh my gosh, Jesus is for sale. Yeah. <laughs> Have you tried him? <laughs> Have you tried How Jesus? How does he taste? <laughs> is it good? <laughs> you know, um, <clears throat> but it really, it, it got me to really think deeply um, because, you know, we live in this globalized world and there are these little sayings that people think are self-evident, mm -hmm. right? And you think that a religious theme, because it was Christmas time, sure. that a religious phrase like try Jesus would be so self-evident. But as I thought about it, in a globalized world, what does that mean? first of all, what Jesus are we talking about? Absolutely. Are we talking about that wide, blue-eyed, aquiline-nosed Jesus that people plaster up on, on signs? Are we talking about the Jesus that people commercialize so that they can sell things? Um, are, are we, are, what, what I mean, are we talking the Jesus that people use to justify violence? Mm -hmm. Are we talking about the Jesus that people are now calling upon in, in white supremacist uh, circles to justify discrimination? So what Jesus are we talking about? Try which Jesus? <coughs> and then the word try. Yeah. I mean, are we talking about try as in trial? Mm. Are we talking about try as in taste? You know, when you when people say, you know, try this. Yeah, you exactly. Know, especially uh, in the in the Latino communities yeah, that we're all, try yeah. this, right? Toma, toma. Uh, are we trying on like when you try on a dress, or you try on a suit, or you try on a shirt, and you decide, oh, I don't like how this looks anymore. Let me throw it aside. Sure. So what do we mean by try Jesus? And in the Bible, so many people tried Jesus. And in the long run, they literally tried Jesus. Absolutely. And they ended up crucifying Jesus. 
So all these things came to mind. And so I, 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 as, I, um, as I was called by the Kentucky Council of Churches to do a speech, that phrase came back to me, try Jesus. And I thought about the different ways in which today we try Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's how I evolved the, the, the speech around, around that, those two themes. But especially, again, thinking about the context of a globalized world. Uh, we live in a world in which w profits have become so, so part of our fabric um, that it has actually impacted how our ethical values are, our religious values are, our everyday living is, and we don't even realize it. Yeah, one of the things you, you use is money theism. And I cite that. I don't know if they said that correctly, right, but money and, and I get that from Daniel Grud uh, Grudy. Let me let me give proper uh, attribution, yeah. uh, because when when uh, when um, uh, Daniel Grudy talks about global uh, globalization, he talks about money theism, that. that that we put so much value in money, right? And it's a play, of course, on yeah. on monotheism. Um, but I, but I take it from a different, and so I say that that's a, one of the watchwords of globalism, money theism. But the other watchword is meism. Mm -hmm. It's become a very, it's a very become a very me-centered uh, society. And it, and when I say me-centered, it's I'm not talking so much about the individualism that's a part of U.S. culture. I'm talking about this this tribalism that has come up, um, and. Um, and so one of the passages that I used was the passage of, of Matthew 25, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the parable yeah. of the sheep and the goats. Yeah. And, of course, uh, you, you were alluding earlier to my veterinary pa practice. Yeah. And this is a very, this, this is a very a real text to me because I have literally dealt with both sheep and goats. Yeah. And one of the interesting thing about sheep and goats is that when you shear sheep of their, of their wool, you can't tell a sheep from a goat. The only Seriously. way you can tell a sheep from a goat is by looking at their tail. Because You just kind of blew my mind. I can know. I just say that? <laughs> I'm just thinking about this right now. Right? So, so look at shorn sheep and look at shorn goats, and you can't tell them apart, really. Um, the difference is in the tail. Um, goats have their tails up, and sheep have their tails down. Um, uh, it's very difficult to tell them apart. So this is a this is a very interesting parable to say. But anyway, so uh, but what strikes me is that the chapter before this parable, mm -hmm. uh, Jesus says something very interesting. He says that there will come a time in which love grows cold. Mm. He doesn't say that love goes away. He says that love grows cold. Mm -hmm. And I think that meism is love grown cold. It's a love that says, I love you if you look like me, you sound like me, you come from people that are my people. I will defend you. I will defend my family. I will defend my tribe. But if you don't look like me, if you don't sound like me, you have no part in me. Right? It's a love that is a, has self-interest mm -hmm. in it. Um, and so uh, we live in that kind of a world. We, we live in a world of self-interest. We live in a world of profits. We live in a world, and I, profits, F-I-T-S, yes. right? 
Um, and unfortunately, we have set us, we, we have lost sight of prophets, mm -hmm. P-H-E-T-S, uh, because we live in this world of prophets. Churches nowadays are more concerned with budgets and with roles and with sizes and with um, the footprint of their buildings, Build, yeah, right? Then uh, they are with, um, oh my gosh, we, we are working in that community and look, we've transformed that neighborhood. Or look, these three people who were lost came to our, our, mm. our church and their lives were transformed. Nobody thinks of in those ways. Uh, we, have, we have lost sight of prophetic action. Uh, we want to make a name for ourselves. So, um, so uh, it, you know, it, we, we try Jesus yeah. <laughs> when we behave this way. And, and it's very subtle. Um, the, 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 you know, even um, I, I, when I came to the airport today, there are certain things you can't do anymore unless you have an, um, a, a device and you have a code and you have a credit card. See, everything in the in world is now around money. And if you think about it, we don't care about the elderly and we don't care about the very young anymore because they're not profit makers. Um, and, and so even in theological education, um, there's a crisis among faculty. People are afraid to retire because they're not profit they're not producing profits anymore. And so they'll become irrelevant. And so you have a new generation of, of faculty who can't find positions because the older faculty are in this area of mm. crisis. So, so globalized world is becoming um, a, very, a very cold world. Mm. Love has grown cold and, and, um, and we try Jesus. And so that's where um, that's what where the speech what I the, what I was trying to get to, um, and so the other part of the speech then I allude to the passage of of uh, of Luke and there's this n there's this guy and again you know he suffers from this virus of meism, he's interested in what's going to happen to me in in the passage in Matthew it, it it comes about because the disciples are asking. What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to to me in the in the latter days? So here's this lawyer who comes up to Jesus and says, "You know, what do I need to do to get eternal life?" Yeah. What is and it, what's, written what's, what's written in the law? And so Jesus, you know, and 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 the guy is so busy listening to himself that yeah. Jesus says, "Listen, I don't need to tell you. You already know the answer." Yeah. And so he goes, "Well, you know, love your God with all your might." And he says, "Well, you got it right." And, and he says, well, and love your neighbor. Good, you've got all the answers, so, so go ahead and do that. And so the guy says, well, who is, who is my neighbor? My neighbor. Mm. Who is my neighbor? In other words, I, I, I want to make sure that my neighborhood has my people. Yeah. I don't want my neighborhood sullied with those people. Yeah. And, you know, we think about that very easily, especially the Latino people, uh, when we think about our neighborhoods, because we've come into neighborhoods where people have rejected us because we're sullying their neighborhood. I don't know about you, but when I moved into the Bronx, I remember people saying, oh, now those spicks are coming and the cockroaches are going to come into the neighborhood. You know, I remember growing up with those kinds of phrases. Uh, but we do that subtly also in the churches, mm. you know. We, the, 
There's a way in which we do things. We do things a certain way. Who are you as an yeah. outsider to come and tell us that we have to do it now a different way, right? So there's always this, this insider-outsider kind of mentality that is very subtle. It, it's very easy to point to the dominant culture and say, you do that. But I think we also have to see where we're complicit and we mm. do that as well. A self-reflective attitude. A self-reflective attitude. So, so if we don't want to try Jesus, we have to look at that parable. And what fascinates me about that parable is that at the, the end result of that parable is that Jesus turns that question around. And very subtly, what he's telling the, the, the lawyer is, the question is not, who is my neighbor? Because if we always ask the question, who is my neighbor, I can define the neighbor. Mm -hmm. And I can feel good in a false way of what I'm doing. It's always about me. Mm -hmm. But Jesus says, no, look, the question is, who are you being neighbored to? And so now shifting the focus it's the shifting question. the focus. So now you have to go out and look for neighbors. So it's not about you. It's about them. Mm. And it's not about people who look like you. It's about you having to actually, not passively, actually go out and, and do things and seek people. Um, Bell Hooks once said, that the, that, the, that the perniciousness of white supremacy is that everybody's affected. And when you live in a neighborhood, nobody in that neighborhood is different from you. White people don't know anything about African Americans because white people eventually, their neighborhoods are fundamentally white people. African-Americans fundamentally live in African-American enclaves, and there's very few Latinx or Asian people in those, in those neighborhoods, and so on and so forth. We sort of self-segregate, you see. So, but for me to be neighbor too means I've got to get out of my place of comfort mm -hmm. and go to somebody who's not like me. I have to suddenly become a neighbor to somebody who's different from me. And, and that is a very sub, subversive and, and, um, and subtle way of overturning white supremacy, both how I've absorbed it and how it's been absorbed in society. And so instead of trying Jesus, when we do these things, we're invited to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus is to always ask the question, who are you being neighbored to? To follow Jesus is to go back to the parable of the sheep and the goats and to not ask the question, am I going to inherit the kingdom? But to understand that the kingdom is about feeding the hungry, visiting the poor, visiting the, the incarcerated, fighting for people at the border, fighting for people who are not like me and this people even say well when were we you know when we were doing when were we doing that to when, you when were we doing that right it's like they had they have no sort of when? understanding right. of right of oh i'm doing it only to my neighbors That's they were right. just doing it they were just doing it at least in the case of the sheep exactly in the case of the goats it's a whole different story that's right so um so we have to stop thinking about 
if we want to follow Jesus and not try Jesus, we need to. S so, so globalization always makes us think about que uh, ganancia voy a tener? What's my profit? What am I going to get out of this? And e even when we study, how do you study? What am I going to get? Am I going to get an A? How many students have so Am I going to get an A? Our thinking is always, how am I going to get something out of this? And for us to follow Jesus is to subvert that thinking and not wonder, what am I going to get out of this? But what am I called to do? Who am I being called neighbor to? What am I being called to do? It has to do with service. It has to do with uh, um, in Hebrews 13, 12, it says Jesus is outside of the gate. It means going outside of the ga gate and standing with Jesus, outside of the places of comfort, outside of the places of justice, outside of the places of profit, outside of the places of gain. Um, when I was called out of veterinary medicine, I was being called outside of the gate of where my, my dreams were, my comfort place was. Mm -hmm. It was to call to follow Jesus and not think about me. And I've never regretted that step. And, and if we are to change the world, we have to change the questions. We have to change the, the viewpoint. We have to stop thinking, what am I gonna get out of it? And we have to start asking ourselves, what are we being called to? Wow. Well, thank you so much, Loida, for your words. You've left us with a lot to think and act upon. Thank you so much for being with us today. It has been a privilege to be with you all, and thank you for giving me this time. The Hispanic Theological Initiative provides these podcasts as a public service. The views expressed by the guests are their own and their appearance on this podcast does not imply an endorsement of them or an entity they represent. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by HTI.